Rudyard Kipling. Lord Crew, it is by your permission as our president that I have the honor to speak today <clears throat> to our most welcome fellow craftsmen and fellow craftswomen from Canada. Strictly between ourselves, I think that this is an occasion on which we are justified in feeling a little proud of, of our calling. We know that when all the men who do things have done them, and after all the men who say things about those doings have said them, it is only words, nothing but words that live to show the present how men worked and thought in the past. And we do not know whose words they will be. And that is one of the reasons why there can be neither first nor last in our kingdom, it is not a republic, in our kingdom of letters. And we who use words enjoy a peculiar privilege over our fellows. We cannot tell a lie. However much we may wish to do so, we only, of educated men and women, cannot tell a lie in our working hours. <laughs> the more subtly we attempt it, the more certainly do we betray some aspect of truth concerning our own age. For it is with us as it is with timber. Every knot and shake in a board reveals some disease or injury that overtook the log while it was growing. A gentleman of the name of Jean Pigeon, who uh, built a frame house for me once, not very far from your border, put this in a nutshell. He said, everything which the tree she had experienced in the forest, she take with her into the house. <laughs> that is the law for us all each in his or own land. Now, Canadian writers and poets have de dealt directly or by implication with every detail of their country's life and background. Some have chosen the days of the first adventurers, the men who wandered bewildered through blind forests and great waterways. Others have illuminated the distracted times of the United Empire Loyalists, the Great Famine Year, the Fenian Raids, or Riel's Rebellion. Others again, those periods of doubt and distrust that followed the political birth of your huge subcontinent. And today, men and women are dealing with those marvelous later years when Canada, first of the new powers, came to her soul and her strength, and incidentally sent 400,000 free men to the war. Directly or indirectly then, consciously or unconsciously, the splendor, the toil, the variety of your national history will have inspired or colored all your work. 
Now somewhere in the mass of this work must be laid up the very lines, phases, or books which will be taken by the world of tomorrow as the authentic portrayal of your world of yesterday. But as I have said, who the people are who have already written the words and for what reason of art or emotion their words will be accepted before all other words we cannot tell. Mercifully, it's not permitted to anyone to foresee his or her literary election or reprobation any more than it was permitted to our ancestors to foresee the just stature of their contemporaries whose shrines and former dwelling places you are now in process of visiting. And by the same token, it's this visit of yours which makes me truly sincere in proposing your help. You have already passed five or six fairly crowded days with us. You have before you ten more in which to look over some of the possessions and verify some of the title deeds of your unpurchasable inheritance here. The things that you will see and the atmospheres you will realize are not, as aliens might regard them, archaeological curiosities or ineffective echoes out of a spent past. Whether they be the work of men's hands or men's souls, they bear witness to the instinct, it is more than tradition, the immemorial racial instinct toward unbridled expenditure on matters material and spiritual for the sheer joy of the exercise. They are proof of our land's deep unconscious delight through all ages in her own strength, her own beauty, and her unjaded youth. <clears throat> that same headlong surplus of desire and effort goes forward along other paths today. But our eyes are held. Like the generations before us, we cannot perceive what new births of new wonders we now move among. But all these things, out of our past, in our present and for our future are yours by right. They are doubly yours since the dominant strains of your blood draw from those twin races, French and English, which throughout their history have been most resolute not to be de-civilized on any pretext or for any gain. Mm -hmm. By the way, you have my deepest sympathy. For it was given to me once to see Canada en bloc. <laughs> I had known portions of it, of course, many years before. But this was one prodigious sweep from Quebec to Victoria and back again. Through three amazing weeks, it was my turn to be shown things. To listen to prophecies which the next ten years showed fell far short of the accomplished fact, and above all to feel the moral pulse of a land and a people, free as their own heirs, and yet set in most ancient and sane practice of justice, 
honor and self-control. I tried to grasp all these things because they were just as much mine as all things here are yours. But not till long after my return did the significance of them begin to break upon me. Then my experiences and impressions clarified and arranged themselves. And as I sorted them out in my head, I found that I had the key to them all the time in my heart. It will be the same to you on your return. Because one's own heart is the best place in which to store the few things of life that really matter. Fellows of the Royal Society of Literature, my lords, ladies and gentlemen, <coughs> let us wish prosperity and health to the Canadian <coughs> Authors Association. Thank you.